Hey, hey, coming in hot, hot, hot. Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Hey, 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 welcome to this episode of I Date Money. Now, who doesn't want to date money, right? Personifying money. Money is a person. What's your ideal mate look like? If you haven't figured this out yet, there's around seven money personalities, seven that I have found to be true for all of us, but one that really dominates how we think and two, one that we love to partner with. So if you haven't figured out who you want to date, go check out the money dating game at idatemoney.com. So in today's show, we have a lovely guest. It's the Lisa show. Okay. We're all about Lisa's today. <laughs> you, know, you know, back in the day that I had 10 friends named Lisa, but Lisa is from One Vision Retirement. She is going to be sharing her story, her success, and why she does what she does to help people get more money. We love more money, right? So welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. And it's so awesome for you just to take time out of your day to share it with the audience and tell them all the things you know, about money. So I'll ask you the the famous question as money, as a person, describe your relationship. You know, I would say now it's been, it's great. We have a great relationship. I deal with money all day long. That's what I do for a living. I've been doing that for 12 years. I would say though, before I got into finance, it was, it was not so great because it was confusing and it was uh, something that I would shy away from and I'd let fear make decisions for me rather than than actually embracing that I might not know something and how do I get educated on that? Uh, and so now I tend to work with a lot of a lot of my clients tend to tend to be in that position too, where they might have money to be able to um, save or to do something with, but they're so afraid of making a mistake or they're so afraid of what they don't know that they're letting fear hold them back. Yeah. And that is so true. And the, the fear of the unknown, you know, we're technically only born with two fears, like the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises, all other fears are learned, but so many, especially the women that I work with, they're so afraid. I can't invest I can't do this. And I'm not sure, like, how is this bill going to get paid? And I was talking to uh, another friend who was concerned. They just lost their job. Well, how am I going to pay my rent? Well, I'm going to use credit cards. Well, where's your emergency fund? (laughs) Like, what do you mean you're going to use credit cards? And this concept around this fear of there's never enough. When I worked at Social Security Administration, it didn't matter how much money the person had or didn't have. Everyone has that same fear. Is there going to be enough? Will money be there for me? And you had mentioned that money was confusing. What what did you find confusing about it? For me, I didn't. It was A, the lingo. So um, I'll kind of tell you a story that I tell a lot of women just to just to make them understand that I do know where they came from or where they're coming from. Um, so before I was in finance, I was a school teacher and I went to 
really nice schools. I was grew up with a little bit with a silver spoon in my mouth. Like I, I, I had a great education, but for some reason, nobody ever talked to me about money. And actually my dad said the other day, I should have talked to you about this stuff more. And I was kind of surprised he said that because I will say in podcasts and stuff that sometimes I wish he had had more of a conversation with me on this. Um, But women in my family just weren't that interested in finance. And so uh, we got married. I got married to my lovely husband and he was sitting doing the bills and I was reading a book. And I remember one Sunday, he basically said, you know, we have some extra money in our bank account that's not getting a very good interest rate. What do you think we should do with it? Do you think we should go get a better interest rate someplace else? And I remember thinking, what is he talking about? Interest rates are for loans. We don't have a loan on our money. Like, what are you talking about? And instead of just saying, I don't understand, can you explain to me what you mean by that? Which I should have been able to do. It was my husband. (laughs) I just freaked out and thought, I am so stupid when it comes to this stuff. Why don't I understand this? And I told him, just leave it alone. Just leave our money alone, which in the long run was not like the worst decision in the world, but it still was making a decision out of fear. Like we talked about, you know, not understanding something and deciding to just play into the fear rather than actually, actually ask questions and get an education from that. And it was all out of feeling stupid, feeling like I didn't understand things. And really I would have understood it fine. I just didn't understand what he meant by interest rate at that time. So a lot of times I think it's the vocabulary. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the financial language that is used with people that people think that that is is confusing for them. Actually, it was funny. So I was at a talk for um, a bank was having a talk and one of the ladies, he kept saying certificate of deposit, certificate of deposit. And she raised her hand and she said, I don't know what that is. What is a certificate of deposit? And so he described and she goes, oh, a CD. Oh, I know what that is. (laughs) But it's not, I'm so proud of her for asking because most of them won't ask, but it's just, it's the lingo. A lot of times we just throw words around and, you know, I have a Roth, I have an IRA, I have a, you know, and people don't, they just, it's very confusing. Um, And I think that that gets in the way a lot of times when we're trying to make those decisions and, and it makes us, I would say for me, my relationship with money was very uncomfortable. I'd get a sinking feeling in my stomach all the time uh, because I didn't understand the lingo. And so therefore I didn't understand how to handle it. Once I got past the, you know, spend less than you make, I was able to do that part. But other than that, I didn't know what to do with any of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's so many money idioms and, you know, different languages that we, you know, we create these acronyms that we come up with. And yeah, most, it's funny because most people say CDs and then, you know, there's a joke that what, you know, like, you know, someone will show a music like, (laughs) like, yeah, no, that's not what we were talking about. So I find that that's a great story. The, the fear of the unknown always keeps us at bay, prevents us from moving oh, no. forward. And I think a lot of people feel like that happens with them when they save money for the future. Like it's so far. I know for me and part of my story was, you know, I went bankrupt at 22 and I was a bankruptcy paralegal. And how does that happen? You know, but I was a single mom, $32,000 worth of debt. 
And I was doing this for a living, creating budgets for people after they filed for bankruptcy so they wouldn't be in that position again. You know, but the the credit card cycle is really powerful. And, you know, I had gotten into debt. Someone had forged my name on a loan and it was part of the debt process. And, you know, I, I made a vow, like, I will never, ever be in this position again. And money and I were front enemies. And I was like, okay, we're going to take all of the money away. We're just going to, I had money envelopes at that time back in the nineties. And then I set up bank accounts for each envelope. And then I would just take all my money away from me. And when I got my paycheck, I'd be like, well, this isn't enough. Not realizing that I had all this money saved. So I've been saving for retirement since, you know, 1991 and the nest egg was beautiful and it was, and then, you know, looking at the stocks and the bonds and like the different ways to strategize that part of my investments, that to me was confusing. And I was like, okay, I need a financial advisor. (laughs) Like (laughs) I I don't even, as an independent insurance broker, I had to study the securities and annuities and like the final expense. And I'm like, (laughs) like, why is this so complicated? And it's very challenging. And, you know, that state test is a bear, but when you think about it, it really, when you start to chunk it down and break it down and you can understand it and beautifully explain it to someone else, that's what makes us so desirable, right? Because yeah. not every, you know, like a creative, like I work with multi-passionates, their zone of genius isn't in the numbers for finances or investments. They want to create that their brain doesn't work that way. So I love like, uh, like 90% of my clients are multi-passionate. And I love when they get, oh, I get that. That makes so much sense. But there is this fear, like when they ask questions, they're like, is that a stupid question? I'm like, no question is stupid. Every question matters. And if you don't ask it, you're never going to know what the truth is. And I think that seeking part. So in your experience, what, what made you, you know, you had that conversation with your husband but what really made you say, like, I don't want to be stupid anymore. And then you yeah. start a career in, in not being stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Finances. Um, it's true. Well, I, it's funny because people are like a year later, you were in fi- financial services. I started on the insurance side because we all, we all do. We all start on the, fi- on the insurance side. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was kind of done with teaching, teaching is anybody who's been a teacher knows it's very political. It's very, and I don't even mean Republican Democrat. I just mean internal politics. And it's just, it's sometimes just not fun. And so I was kind of done with being a teacher and they love teachers in the insurance world. They love us because we can explain things in a way that other people can't explain. Cause I don't have all that financial background where I start throwing out words that people don't understand. And So I was like, well, I could sell life insurance. That's no problem. Not knowing how life insurance worked at all or how complicated it is because it's very complicated. (laughs) And I, I just started sitting in meetings and feeling like the dumbest one in every single training for a while. And it's funny, the turning point was I was, um, it was an annuity training that I was sitting in. Annuities are probably the most complicated Mm-hmm. product ever out there. They're just yeah, I just super decided I don't like them. <laughs> I know. I don't I just blame made a decision. you. I don't like annuities. Forget it. We're not yeah, going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. I do. I, yeah, they don't, they don't play a huge role in my planning either. Yeah. So, um, but essentially I was sitting there and she was talking about a trust and I was like, what's a trust. And so she started explaining a little bit more about a trust and 
I was sitting there. I was like, huh, do my parents have a trust? They should have a trust. So then I called my dad and he said, well, trusts are for rich people. And I said, well, I don't think so. Let me do a little bit more research. So then I did some more research and I called him back and I said, you need a trust because I don't want to deal with all of this. If you have a trust, it's like, I don't want to deal with all that. And so I got him a trust and I thought, you know, I know more than my dad does now. I am actually able to bring some information to the table that helped him and helped me, of course. That was a little selfish, but that's okay. But it essentially helped help the family. Right. And that was my turning point that I was like, I actually understand more about this world than, you know, than the average person does. And I can bring some value because I don't have to have all the answers, but I just need to be able to find out the right answers and have those resources. And so once I started coming into that world and going, I I can find it out. I can learn. This is a big learning opportunity. There's always stuff that I'm learning. I've been doing this for 12 years and there's always something new that I'm like, I didn't know that. Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't know that that existed and that a business owner could do such and such to offset tax mm-hmm. or something, you know, like there's always some new something. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's why I do what I do. I love what I do because there's always something new to learn mm-hmm. and to pass on to the right people. Yeah. Yeah. And the information is so valuable. And when you are in it, you know, inundated with it and you get to stay on top of it and learn all the different intricacies, especially when it comes to self-employed individuals, entrepreneurs, and not like helping them save money on things that they're already doing. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just creates this reciprocal energy of giving and receiving so that we can all be successful because there's so much money for everyone and just managing it in a way where it brings you peace and security and and that safety net that we're all looking for. And um, I'm very familiar with trust. I was a trust cadre um, when I worked at social security. So I've reviewed (laughs) lots and lots of trust and the (laughs) intricacies talk about a foreign language. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then each state has its own set of rules. So, but the estate planning, um, you know, I was an executrix for my mom's estate I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. Some of the things they do. And just when, I mean, she passed away a few years back, 2017, I think. Um, so even since then, the rules have changed so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and people don't think about like, it's expensive to die. It's literally so expensive. And people do not do final expense planning, you know, and let alone retirement planning. Mm-hmm. Like, of the ladies that you work with, how what's the percentage of the ladies who have no plan? And they're like, well, why do I need that? Who cares? You know, I'll be dead. Yeah. I'm not going to live that long. Or <laughs> yeah, that's usually the guys that have that answer. But the women, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, they're usually like, you know, I think the most common thing I hear from men is on like long-term care planning or anything like that. They always go, "Oh, just shoot me if I get to the point that I need long-term care." I'm like, "You're not gonna like who's yeah. gonna do that? Nobody's." They gonna do, do that. say that though. <laughs> I do. It's funny. I'm like, that's not gonna happen. Um, but the women, it's funny. It's it's not so much that they don't they don't want to put stuff in place. It's more that they don't know what they should do and they don't know who to trust. 
and they don't know why they should do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's usually the the issues that come up. You know, I work with women who, you know, make a nice living. They're doing their thing. Most of my women are working women. So they're either solo entrepreneurs or they're, um, you know, executives at companies and stuff. And so they're doing something, but they're just not, they're not sure they're doing the right thing. And they're not really sure what they're doing. They're doing something, but they're just kind of following the herd, which they don't like. They want it to be personalized and for them to know that they're doing the right thing for them, not necessarily for, for, you know, what everybody else is telling them to do. And I think the biggest thing that I hear a lot is, you know, women in particular, we like to do legacy planning. We want to make sure we leave something to our loved ones. Um, even if we don't have kids, we want to, we want to leave something for the next generation and not knowing what kind of accounts, how they transfer over to the next generation, what, you know, how it works, what they have to consider on things like that is, is probably the biggest, uh, I would say pain point. Cause they all think, they all think let's leave the house to the kids. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I've had so many people that have inherited houses that just want to curse their parents for leaving them the house because it's just so much work. Mm-hmm. It's cleaning it out. It's getting it ready to for sale. It's, it's a lot of work. And the right now, obviously you it, the capital gains transfer over and, you know, you have a step up, um, right now, I don't know, hopefully that stays in place for the future, but, you know, by the time they get it prepared and ready to sell, if it's any, if it's anything like the real estate market's been in the last couple of years, they actually have a huge amount of capital gains that have grown since they inherited the house. Cause they took a year trying to get it ready to sell. And so then they have taxes and they're like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> So, um, you know, so actually, like you said, final expense planning, life insurance, those are actually sometimes the easiest things to transfer over to the next generation because it's minimal work compared Mm -hmm. to leaving the house. Because I would say nine times out of 10, the kids don't want to keep the house. So then it turns into a lot of work. Right. Yeah. And I mean, even if like my mom, she had a house and she didn't leave it to anybody, but we had to sell it in order to settle the estate. And, you know, it was a lot of work (laughs) Mm -hmm. because, you know, someone who lives in their home for 30 years collects stuff. And the first thing after I spent weeks cleaning out my mother's house to prepare it for sale, I called up everyone in my family. I said, stop hoarding listen, okay, we don't want to be like Harry the Hoarder. He's one of the seven money personalities because Harry the Hoarder creates chaos for the loved ones left, you know, that we're leaving behind. And who wants to go through all that stuff? I mean, Mm -hmm. I had garbage fulls of stuff, like cards that she had saved from when I was in second grade. And, you know, and you're compelled to go through that stuff because it's bringing memories, (laughs) you know, and then you have the estate sale and you got to manage that. And then you got to mm. get rid of all the stuff that doesn't sell and donate it or throw it away. And then you got to deal with a garbage. I mean, oh yeah, it's just a, it's, so I always say to everyone, especially the older folks, have you started cleaning out your house yet? Have you started thinking about, you know, minimalizing the stuff that you own? So that's a huge thing. And like, even no matter how old you are, like, why are you holding on to all this stuff? Like, is it really mm-hmm. Do you really like I have pictures that we couldn't throw away from 1960? I'm like, 
they're in a closet in a box and someday I'll digitalize them or whatever, you know, but my husband's the hoarder and I'm like, get rid of everything. Just <laughs> I'm the same way. I just clean it up. Clean out. it up. Exactly. So yeah, Harry, the hoarder is, um, he likes to hang on to stuff, sentimental stuff. And I'm just like, yeah. no, I don't want to have to clean that out. I don't, and you don't want me going through your personal journals. Come on. <laughs> exactly. But it yeah. comes from a good place. They think that you yeah. want it. And yeah. really, I think the bottom line is the conversation that needs to happen between the parents and the kids yeah. where to go way back to your first question, that relationship with money families do not talk about money at all. Mm -hmm. And so there's never that conversation of like, this is what we're leaving you. This is what's written out. This is where you find our financial advisors information. Here's where you find our estate plan. Like there's never that conversation because the kids feel like, like they're being greedy by asking about it. Mm -hmm. And the parents feel like, well, they don't want to know about this stuff or they, I, they feel weird. They don't want to talk about their mortality. Um, right. It just turns into, so that, that conversation, that relationship with money between family members can be, it just can create headaches and, and lots of, lots of unneeded strain essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And unless you're in the, in the business, it won't come up. Right. Like, cause our family, we know, but we're in, we're, we're in it and it's so important. And I think as people get older and they see like, you know, you think your spouse is going to take care of it, but then what if the spouse remarries? And then you have that whole thing that happens with the money and so much. Oh, I saw so much in the 30 years I was at social security. I'd be like, okay, and this is what we're not doing. And having that plan in place is so important. And one Mm -hmm. of the biggest things that I see is that people don't want to invest in it. You know, they believe Mm -hmm. any type of insurance, especially final expense, you know, for someone at 56 years old or, you know, 60 years old to get a final expense policy. And then they see that they're like, I'm not paying that much money. That's crazy. You know, (laughs) how do you respond to that? Oh, it just depends on their planning and stuff. Uh, It, you know, for some people, maybe it is too expensive. It just depends on what they've done for their planning otherwise. But I would say for most people, it makes sense having some insurance um, in place, even if it's just, like you said, final expense insurance or something that they're never going to have, have themselves personally have access to. It's still something to help the next generation get through some expenses that they're going to have to be upfront with, or maybe even um, pay for taxes. If for some reason your funeral costs are not anywhere close to what we thought, then you've got some money to deal with, um, you know, other carrying costs that you have to take. So I think it's always a good idea to look at that stuff and to see what kind of legacy you're leaving uh, when you do your retirement planning in particular. And like you said, you know, everybody's afraid that they're going to run out of money, that they don't have enough, that they're, that's the number one fear I hear is, is this going to last? What are we going to do? What's our plan B? What are we, you know, all that. And this is part of that conversation, because if you don't have anything else to tap into, to get to any other sources of income, other than social security, and maybe a small investment that you had, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult for sure. It's probably not going to be the retirement that you wanted. Right. And that's so important. Mm-hmm. 
So the younger you are, go get started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Start planning. Wait. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, honestly, I do what I call bucket list planning with clients a lot. And I think it's because we don't have a, like you said, we don't have a great relationship with money. So we're not, we're not used to saving it. We're not used to pushing off instant gratification all the time. You know, Amazon doesn't help. I'm a you know victim of Amazon too, where I, oh, that's nice. Put that, you know, get that, you know, that would be nice to have. And we're very, it's hard to do that long-term planning. Like you said, you know, sometimes retirement's 30 years from now, and it's really hard to get motivated or stay motivated to save for 30 years from now. Plus, you know, many people will say, I don't want to retire. I don't know what I would do with myself if I retired all that stuff. So then they don't save at all, which is worse because then if something happens or they change their mind, that's mm-hmm. very difficult to do. So I tend to do bucket list planning, which is let's get your wants and needs done now. Let's do it while you're still working. Let's enjoy some life now so that you kind of see what retirement might look like for you. We have Mm -hmm. a better idea of who you are going to be in retirement, but you're not just waiting for retirement to do everything. You're doing your trips now. You're buying your you know sports car or whatever that other thing is. You're donating to your favorite charity. You're doing all this other stuff in the meantime. And it actually gives you a lot more control over your money because you know exactly where your money's going. You know exactly what it's doing for your life. And I think getting that muscle built while you're still working actually helps you do it more in retirement. Because if you haven't done that, basically you either, I have two extremes that happen when somebody retires, they either go in a hole and won't spend any money Mm -hmm. or they go, or they go insane and they spend way too much. And I'm like, this is not, these are not the numbers we talked about. Like this (laughs) this is not, you're spending too much. Um, And so they don't, you know, because they didn't get to experience anything before they didn't really work that muscle of like knowing how to control your money and knowing how to pay for things and knowing how to save and what buckets to use for different things. They, they just hadn't thought about it. Most people who are retiring currently just save to their 401k. They only had the traditional 401k. So everything's tax deferred. And now when they're trying to pull out money for their European trip or something, they're sitting there going, I have to pay tax on this. Yeah, you have to put you got it was tax deferred. So because they didn't have those experiences of trying to pay for things earlier, they don't understand how the tax works, how all that works. Mm-hmm. And so doing some bucket list planning before we get to retirement actually kind of gets you in control of your money, understanding how different accounts work, how the taxes are implicated. Do all that while you're still making an income. Right. Right. Yeah. And always planning and planning, 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 right. It's all about that money management system. And, you know, I like the bucket list planning because, you know, I always, you know, like I did the money envelope system, but then I created money buckets to have those, you know, and a lot of the banks are, a lot of the online banks are offering the money buckets Mm -hmm. and it's an awesome way to get a higher interest rate while you're saving for these special things, you know, and to have it allocated and done for you, you know, I still have to use an Excel sheet, but you know, it's, it's nice to be able to open up that bank account and just say, wow, check this out. Not only is my money growing, but I get to use this 
and you get to enjoy those experiences because so many people believe that being wealthy means you just have tons of money in the bank. And that's not what it's about. It's, it's working through that fear of saying, I get to spend my money this way. Like I've, I've, you know, we always say, oh, I'm going to work harder, but how about we just have our money work smart for us so that we can enjoy the fruits of our labor and just really, yeah, experience that. And I, I'm so familiar with that. The no spenders, like I saved all this yeah. money. Now I'm at retirement. And I'm not touching a dime. And so many people pass away. They, I mean, tomorrow is not promised, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have all this money, you're afraid to spend it and you don't enjoy those experiences that you said you wanted to do. So having that visual of writing it out on, on the money bucket I, or the bucket list I love that. I just love that. I just picture these little buckets and like, yep, this is what I'm doing. And it's their sense of satisfaction of knowing like you've allocated, you've planned for this. You know, it's like I can take the Disney trip whenever I want to because Mm -hmm. this is what I plan to do versus there's no plan in place. So let's just spend it frivolously. You know, I don't mean how much food we eat. I always say like we, when I have a podcast episode, help I ate my money. You know, you go to the grocery store and then you go out to eat afterwards because you're too tired to cook. And then you don't eat the fresh food because you're too tired to cook. And then that goes in the garbage. And, you know, you're constantly going for fast food. It's like, stop eating your food. Okay. Or your money. (laughs) It's totally true. So that's the first thing I look at in budgets. When somebody brings a budget to me, I go, how much are we eating out and how much are we buying in groceries? And I always say, are we throwing a lot of food away? Yeah. Oh yeah. I throw a lot away. Choose one or the other. Yeah. You're gonna eat out, that's fine. Eat out, but don't buy groceries on top of that and then throw them. Away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Let's just roll down savings. the window and drive down the street with the with the money, you know, buy. Cause exactly. that's basically, and we don't pay attention to it. And then yeah. you know, of course, there's that thing about you go grocery shopping hungry. So then you're buying all this stuff because you're oh, starving. Yeah. And then it all, you know, and that's something like in my, you know, in 1991, 1992. As our family started growing, I was like very, I I used to plan my meals out like for two weeks at a time because I did not like grocery shopping and I got paid every two weeks. So I would plan the meals and my husband would be like, well, what if we don't feel like eating it that day? I go, we'll swap it out. Because if you look at your eating habits, you basically eat the same types of foods and like you buy an ingredient, it's usually going to cover a lot of different recipes for yourself, right? So you get to know like, okay, I'm not going to use this. Like there's certain vegetables I won't even touch because I know they're going in the garbage. So it's like, why did I buy that? I I thought of something great. So really being conscious of that and how we're using our money. So that's awesome. So tell us, you you know, you've talked about money buckets. Tell us what, what do you do? Like how can people connect with you? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So I do a lot of money mindset work uh, alongside being a traditional financial advisor and and helping with investments and stuff. So um, if people just want to get some more insider information, just kind of follow. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so they can always, you know, connect there. Um, And then we have a great resources page. So if anybody, uh, I have something that I call um, baby step your way to financial independence, and it's little things that you can incorporate in your life just a couple of them that will get you closer to financial independence just by way of just putting these little five minute a week habits in place. Mm -hmm. And so they can always go to our resources page on our website and download those. 
Oh, I love that. And we can put those links in the show notes. So yeah, thank you so much, Lisa, for just sharing. If um, you could share words of wisdom with our audience, what would that be? So I would say that one thing that people could do is change their mindset when it comes to their money, that money is really self-care. And by not having control of your money, uh, everything that we just talked about, the groceries, the everything, not having control over your money is actually creating so much stress and friction in your life that it's not taking care of you. So if you think of money as self-care, that I use this to enjoy my life, to be deliberate, to to live a life I actually want to live and stop living the life that other people are telling me I'm supposed to do, then I think that people would have greater control, more joy in their lives, get to do the things that they really want to do. So think of money as self-care. Oh, I like that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much again for sharing your space. Those of you listening, be sure to check the show notes, check out Lisa on LinkedIn and you know get that freebie that she's offering. And I highly recommend if you do not have planning set for your future final expense, all the things, book your call with Lisa because this is valuable and this is going to create that generational wealth that you're all looking for. We want to date money, but then we don't take action. So take action. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it. Hey, hey, thanks for tuning in. Be sure to rate the show. Give us some love. We would love your review. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's what you do with it. And some words of advice, pay yourself first. Are you ready to partner with money? Go check out the money dating game at idatemoney.com and choose your partner. We hope you always get the date you want.